0: What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Kendrick Wynn is the co-founder and CEO of Republic, a crowdfunding platform with a mission to democratize fundraising and a vision to become a true marketplace for private investing. In this conversation, we discuss the state of digital securities, COVID-19's impact on early stage fundraising, how the Republic Note works, and how Kendrick believes digital securities are likely to evolve over the next five years. I really enjoyed this conversation with Kendrick, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into the episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. The first is Bitsy. It's spelled B-T-S-E. That's right, Bitsy. It's got one of those tech names. The Bitsy Exchange allows you to trade confidently. They're a leader in futures, which means they're pioneering Futures 2.0. With Bitsy's, you can trade next level futures where you freely choose and combine your margin and settlement assets and trade with up to 100x leverage. 100x. You can also sign up for a Bitsy Elite membership that gives you unbeatable discounts and bonuses across their exchange, their OTC platform, and much more. You can head over to Bitsy.com slash Again, B-T-S-E com slash pomp and you'll get a 10% discount on your Bitsy Elite membership. If you're interested in futures, leverage, or anything else to do with trading crypto, head on over to bitsy btse.com slash pomp. All right, and then if you're a retail user, you can use our second sponsor, crypto.com. They're an all-in-one platform that allows you to buy, sell, store, earn, loan, or invest crypto all from one place. They've got a mobile app with over a million users. And Crypto.com is fully focused on driving mass adoption. So if you want to use futures, go to the Bitsy Exchange. If you want to use the retail product, go to Crypto.com. And when you go to Crypto.com, use their mobile app. You can buy, sell, store, or earn, loan, or invest. They got so many things you can do, I can't even say it. So buy, sell, store, earn, loan, or invest crypto all from one place. It's literally a mouthful full of product functions, crypto.com, dope URL, and also where mass adoption is occurring. So lastly, don't forget that I write a daily letter to over 50,000 investors about business, technology, and finance. I break down complex topics into easy to understand language while sharing my personal opinion on various aspects of each industry. You can subscribe at pompletter.com. Again, pompletter.com. All right, let's get into this episode with Kendrick. I hope you guys enjoy it. Kendrick is back for I think round two, maybe maybe round three, but I think round two. Uh, Thanks so much for uh, for doing this, man.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Palm. It's such an honor
0: and always a pleasure. Absolutely. So, for those that didn't listen to the first one we did together, maybe just let's start with kind of sixty seconds on your background and kind of the things you did to get to uh, Republic and start that business.
1: Uh, Yes, sir. Uh, Started out as a securities lawyer. I was an angelist general counsel. Uh, and launched Republic about four years ago. Uh, at first, nothing to do with blockchain. Uh, in 2017, helped uh, AngelList uh, to co-found CoinList, uh, set that up, uh, and CoinList is a phenomenal team. They didn't need me anymore. <laughs> uh, so I went back to uh, to Republic, uh, but uh, we basically an investment platform, one of the largest by now, 700,000 community members, uh, and investing in uh, from seed stage all the way to like pre-IPO, some of the projects, uh, crypto projects. Um, but, you know, most of our deals still are in traditional equity.
0: Got it. And and so one of the things that's really interesting, I think, about what you guys have done is, uh, and you really gave me kind of the crash course on um, these regulation A-plus type offerings versus other types of offerings. And so maybe give us a quick update just What has gone on at Republic for the last kind of two years or so? How much of that is through Reg
1: A plus versus maybe other types of uh, regulations where the fundraising is occurring? Uh, I'll start with an offering that we have right now is a combination of Reg D and Reg A, which is our own token for the Republic note token. But why don't we just uh, give a very quick overview of all of these regulations uh, in a way that is, you know, uh, for, for mainstream consumption. So they're really only three ways for which non-accredited investor in the US can acquire private securities or digital securities. Either the company has gone IPO, gone public, and that's a really high hurdle, obviously very few opt for that route. There's a regulation CF, stand for crowdfunding, very easy, couple thousand dollars, any project or company after two, three weeks uh, can go through a platform right like Republican raise. But there's a cap uh, of a million dollars right now, soon to be five million, meaning you cannot take more than a million dollars from non accredited investors. Then there's Reg A, which is between Reg CF and going public, it costs about a couple hundred thousand dollars, probably about six months to prepare for. And then either a company or a project like Republic or Blockstack or Props. Can raise up to fifty million dollars from non-accredited investors, and the, I, I say non-accredited investor loosely, but it essentially means anyone and everyone. You can be a student, you can be a you know Bill Gates, uh, and you can invest openly into the the campaign. So, how is relevant to uh, digital securities or token offerings in the U.S. is that I do very much believe that the the challenge, the roadblock for industry adoption up until now has been the lack of everyday folks participating. And there are a couple of reasons for that, one of which is that most people are not accredited. Right? In the U.S., like 95% of everyone are not accredited, and so they have not been able to compliantly get in, which is why you see the industry more or less the same as it was two or three years ago. Got it,
0: and so when you guys work with uh, companies that want to raise funds, uh, are they doing both, or all three, uh, Reg CF, Reg A+, uh, and Reg D,
1: or do you just work on the Reg D and Reg A-plus side? The uh, the different exemptions, the different tools, gotta be like case-by-case analysis on how they come to to apply. And that's why there isn't really anytime soon like a SaaS model that hey you come to us no human touch or advice is needed and boom you launch uh, no because it depends on you know what your customer base you know look like and and, and how much money you're looking to raise uh, so very few projects would do all three of them either you do Reg D which is what any company and token offering in in recent years uh, have been doing. Uh, and you add on the Rec C, F, or Rec A component for non-accredited. And interestingly enough, in the United States today, still there have only been two Rec A offerings for token offering, as far as I know, which is Blockstack and Props. Uh, and Republic is working on the, the third one. Got it. And and so when people
0: are coming in to vet this, what's the type of information that they're getting today? And then what does that look like in terms of you mentioned 700,000 kind of people on the platform? What does that look like in terms of capital
1: raised so far? Yeah, if you go to Republic today, uh, you you see the public arm of Republic, which is companies that we have onboarded under either right CF or Red A, meaning anyone can see even a student can invest as little as 10 or 20 dollars. Now, the, the information that each company posts goes through our standard process. So they kind of like the same. There's a video. There's a little bit of like a few bullet points on, on highlights. And then there's a link to their financials posted on an SEC website, which is very different than deals done privately. We do have a private arm deploying private capital under what is known as Rec-E. And that is similar to how the venture ecosystem works very opaque, not a whole lot of information, only for sophisticated investors that can look at a company and make their own assessment on whether or not this is a deal worth doing. And on that side, you only see a deal once we're done with it, unless you're invited as part of the network. We've deployed capital into Carter, Uh, SpaceX, relativity, uh, you know, all of Robinhood most recently. So the the, the profile of the projects are very different. One leaning later stage and the other one is on the earlier stage. Got it. And then maybe talk a little bit
0: about uh, some of the projects themselves in terms of uh, what those companies do. You're, you're, uh, for those that are just listening, uh, you're sitting and you have a Zoom background and, and uh, the two posters, one of them says investing crazy ideas uh, and the other says investing crazy visionaries. So maybe talk a little bit about what, what are some of those things that uh, you've seen come through on the platform and be successful?
1: yeah you know i I want to share a fun fact, and uh, up until recently, I think our industry people think of like blockchain as like a standalone you know completely bifurcated from the rest of, of the world and I don't think so at all. I think blockchain is just a technology that's like interwoven with fintech uh, uh, you know necessarily so so um the the investment and the products that we do, even on the surface seems to have nothing to do with crypto or blockchain down the road. Uh we are working on tokenizing all of them. Uh, and there will be DeFi products uh you know on, on the back of the investment that you're seeing right now. But diving back into to your question right now. You know, there's a company called T O T E O O H, uh, and it's essentially Zoom 3D, right? Uh, And while they were raising on Republic, they also closed an investment from Spark Capital, which is a, you know, a a top tier VC. But technologies that people understand, uh, because you're talking about mainstream uh, presentation, and people typically take less than two minutes to look at the deal page and make an investment. So it has to be technology that people generally understand so we see a lot of deals in that framework and i think snowball money is the deal that most recently closed and that's a blockchain company uh but in a way that's very relatable you know work uh obviously in in finance i think the, the block stack the 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 traditional uh, protocols probably won't get mainstream adoption just because uh, it's harder to understand and so the adoption will come later, whereas I think DeFi and and tokenized securities uh, are things that will drive the industry forward quicker. Got it. And then maybe
0: talk a little bit about um, how much capital has been raised on the platform or kind of what the average deal
1: size look like so people can understand that. Yes. Uh, again, it's still uh, breaking down between the public platform and the private platform, but in the aggregate, we've done over $150 million since inception. Much of that, which is over 125 came in the past 18 months. Right. So it's just a snowballing effect uh, for, for what is a nascent uh, industry. But this year, we do hope to close the year at over $200 million in, in, uh, uh, in uh, total investment volume. That's awesome. Congratulations on that.
0: Um, There's a lot of people who say, hey, digital securities, uh, I've heard this narrative before, right? I I thought that this was going to be a massive thing in 2018, 2019. uh, It doesn't feel like uh, it kind of accomplished what I thought it was going to accomplish. Not saying that it won't in the future, but just it kind of didn't happen as fast as I thought it would. How do you talk through that with investors or or kind of think about that, uh, given that you kind of have a front row seat to this
1: every day? Uh, It's a great question, Tom, and I have been getting that question, uh, you know, a few times in in talking to institutional investors, as we were looking to fundraise about six months ago. Uh, And the answer is this. If you have this notion of so-called digital securities that change, I mean, 80 years of financial uh, ecosystem, financial products, Wall Street, we're talking about making it possible for the masses to participate easily buy and sell, bypassing the NASDAQ, you know, the OTC desk of the world. Naturally, it will take a little bit of time. Everyone thought that like, hey, back in 2017, I certainly thought that by 2020, uh, the world of of, of, of finance would be much more decentralized. Blockchain would have uh, played a bigger role. And I was wrong. I was definitely a little bit too early for a number of reasons. One is that technically, the, the the functionalities the feature sets that would enable this didn't quite exist back then that is how do you conduct know your customer anti-money laundering how do you verify accreditation how do you block jurisdiction uh barriers you have to do all of these things to be in the good ways of the sec and finra and all of these regulators so when it comes to to digital securities you do have to account for government and regulations and that whole compliance framework. The technology did not have adequate features to make that possible or feasible. Now, as of like the end of last year and earlier this year, everything is there. Even the, the, the legal and business framework, we had it back then, but no one has gone through it. Back in 2017, there had never been a reggae involving digital securities. The SEC finally, slowly went through that process. So there were a few missing components for the industry that, that necessarily prevented adoption uh, technically and legally. And then there hasn't been, I think, a major asset that people look at it. Your and your doctor, who's retired now in Milwaukee, didn't know very much about blockchain. People look at the asset and say that, huh, I get it. This is relatable. We haven't seen anything like that. We've seen real estate properties, you know, some like class B property somewhere uh, being tokenized and available to accredited investors only. How can you have active trading, active market and adoption with that kind of a?" Uh, a nascent uh, emergence. Uh, that said, though, now I do very much believe that over the next twelve months, you're going to see a renaissance of sort when it comes to STO and digital securities.
0: And so, when you think about that, uh, what what type of asset do you think could be kind of the, the the breaking of the dam in demand? Like, like what type of asset would that take?
1: A little selfishly and self-promotional, but uh, I obviously think that the Republic Note Token. Um, which we, we launched the public sale a uh, few days ago and glad to uh, share that uh, the, the soft cap that we put was oversubscribed within just a couple of days. Uh, but we have a very large community and our token, I should uh, describe it a little bit, is a profit sharing token. Uh, that is when a company on Republic sees an exit, we realize some proceeds and we pay that proceeds out to the token holders proportional to the token that they have. So if uh, someone buys a Republic token and Robinhood or Space Act goes public in two years, this it's gonna be a very small amount, but an amount being paid out to, to the token holders. That is relatable, meaning people can look at it and say, here's a, a regulated business with clear revenue, with over one hundred and fifty million dollars have been invested and they have upside in these deals, and we have this community, which is seven hundred thousand uh, and growing, so we do think that the, the our user base alone is larger than many exchanges uh, and so we have the ability to to in and by itself fuel that liquidity and demand. but we are just you know basically the first of many to come. Our goal is to identify major movies, sport leads, studios, real estate portfolio, help them tokenize and make it available to, to the masses. Um, but yes, I mean, the 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 use case for tokenization, uh, I think are just countless. Uh, and uh, the concern is once the floodgate has been opened and people see the value in it, how can the system accommodate, you know, let's say, all at once, uh, 20 different very large enterprises wanting to tokenize, but that's a good problem to have. For sure. And maybe explain a little
0: bit more about uh, the Republic note token, because I I saw a couple of announcements uh, online, but my understanding is uh, an investor can come in, they buy the token, all of that money gets pulled together. it gets invested into deals that go through the Republic platform. And then, as uh, there's profits, it gets distributed back on a pro
1: rata basis to investors? Or am I misunderstanding that? Yes, no, no. I, the, the, there's no reinvestment in this one sense. Uh, think of uh, the, the easiest way of looking at it is this. If I may use an analogy, uh, you know, back in uh, 1996, if Amazon were to say that, hey, we're going to issue pre minted, fixed 800 million token and then we are gonna put 25% of our revenue from there on. Whenever 25% revenue is generated, they're gonna make a distribution out to these tokens on an evergreen basis. At the time, probably was a modest uh, distribution, Uh, but obviously fast forward 20 years, each of those tokens would be, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars in in value. The same concept here, which is we pre-mint a fixed pool of token, and then on a perpetual basis, we will make distribution of profits back to the token holders. What are those profits? Well, we have an upside. We, every company that raises on Republic, we have an upside potential. Whenever a company sees an exit, that upside potential is realizing cash. That cash is payback back through a stream, an issuer, and going back to the token holders. So, uh, uh, one way of another way of looking at it is that when we started out with this project, and we're I think we were Binance's first portfolio company, we had done only about 15 raises and we've raised less than six million dollars. And even at the time, Binance was like, there's a potential for this with a pool of future profit and asset over a year and a half, two years. Now it's over $150 in total amount raised, and the pool of assets is probably worth at least 20 times what it was in 2018. So if we continue for two more years, it's just increasingly amplifying on an evergreen basis. Yeah, that's awesome. And what's
0: really interesting about this is uh, the profit share... uh, is basically the profit of all of the successful companies that go through the Republic platform, right? Because if they're unsuccessful, there will be no profits. But when they're they are successful, it's a way to kind of almost
1: index your exposure to to a bunch of different companies. It seems like correct. Uh, so the the uh, the unusual attribute of that, and you know, you being one of the most prolific and known venture capitalists in the space as well as you know, generally speaking. We all know that if you just invest, even if you um, were to just invest in one or two or three deals and no more, I mean, there's a high, high risk of you seeing very little of that money back, right? So uh, the, the name of the game is obviously a number game, even among the very best venture capitalists. So what's unusual about the Republic note token is that it gives note holders indirect exposure on an evergreen basis, meaning at one point, say 10 years down the road, Republic has done 15,000 deals through uh, crowd capital that every note holder, as long as you hold a note, when a company out of that pool exits, you're going to see a payout, which lends itself to a very unusual token economic issue. That is, people will be reluctant to sell because the moment that if I hold a note token and I will sell it to you, uh, palm, and all of a sudden Hood sees an exit, the payout will be to the new no-order, not me. So out of that, that, that psychology of wanting to hold on for long-term return rather than pump and dump, I do think that it's going to introduce an interesting but probably a positive dynamics to, to token economics compared to what we have seen in the past couple of years. Yeah, it's super interesting. And I guess, how does
0: this impact the traditional markets, right? So we see like a Coinbase, for example, that's been talking about, uh, or at least rumored to be talking about potentially going public. Uh, I know that Brian Armstrong previously had said that like the most on brand thing would be to digitize or, or tokenize the equity of the business sounds like maybe now they're exploring the traditional side. At some point, it feels like those two markets, like they meet, right? And either they merge together and play nicely or one ends up winning and the other ends up losing. And so just kind of how do you think about digital securities versus traditional market over like a very long period of time?
1: Uh, I'm obviously gonna guess uh, make make a make a guess here on the decision uh, making process at Coinbase. Uh, but I think at one point, uh, the management team at Coinbase made the decision that, hey, we're so large now with an institution that it's easier to go through the ipo the traditional going public process than dealing with digitizing and digitized tokenized securities given that the traditional process there's a clear roadmap there's less of a risk there's less of a gray area it comes with a lot of hurdles but it's exactly what, you know, they are what they are. Everyone is, people have done it before. And yes, it is a way to provide, you know, public access. That said, there are still limitations to the traditional model in that once and if Coinbase is listed on NASDAQ, it's not easy at all for a Chinese resident, an Ecuadorian resident. Peruvian, Vietnamese to participate. Those people cannot easily buy Tesla today, and they will not be easily uh, have access to to Coinbase in the future. Uh, I think down the road, I think it will take probably at least five years for the traditional public market to be digitized and modified by what we will see in the STO world, but over the next year or two, the, the, the change in, in STOs and digital securities for early stage companies and projects, I think will pose a serious, or at least raise a serious conversations for the NASDAQ of the world, because they know that in five years out, they won't have candidates to go IPO, given that people would already have opted for digital uh, offerings uh, much sooner.
0: And so it sounds like it's fair to say that people can go from uh, traditional non-digitized equity and digitize at any point, right, in the, in the kind of the life cycle of the business. But it's much harder if you start out with digitized equity and kind of this token structure to go back to the traditional world, right? So at some point, once you cross over, it's hard to go back and, and say, if I raised money early on through a digital token structure uh, as equity to then go get listed on the
1: NASDAQ or the NYSE would, would be pretty difficult. Well, it is uh, rather than difficult, I would say it's an unknown. And within that kind of highly regulated world, any unknown poses a risk. So I would say that it's rather than it being difficult, as long as in your structuring of your digital offering, uh, you, you know, your SDO early on as a private company build in there a framework that is good for investors, good for token holders, but gives you the ability that if you so choose, it becomes so crucial for the company to go public traditionally that you have a way to give return back to note holders and basically be able to claw back those tokens in a way that that you know token holders are happy with and you know random shares in in return so there's still ways for you to go you know to to reverse and undo things uh at least you know we do see a path for that uh but that is a big unknown and a you know a, a question in my mind is whether or not The IPO model will continue to exist five years out 2025 and above and and, and beyond. I don't know that that you will see the kind of like, you know, Uber and Coinbase uh, IPO that we that we are seeing now.
0: And we already see in the traditional world, there's definitely some movement or change, right? So we've seen the, um, you know, Spotify's and the Slack's do direct list things. We've seen the Virgin Galactics go through uh, these kind of SPAC acquisitions. Um, and, and so there's definitely some pressure there or, or some change. It feels like digital securities is, is kind of further out than just a one or two year uh, thing. But to your point, um, if it can solve some of these problems, there's a lot of companies that say, why wouldn't I do that if,
1: uh, if it's just a better path? And not only that, uh, truly, the SPAC and the the IPO process is only for the Coinbase of the world. Uh, And even then, compared to the 90s, the number of companies, you know, the the number of public companies out there in the U.S., I think something like 50% less than it was like 30 years ago. So it it has been a, a trend that's like less and less, you know, companies choose to go public. The notion of digital securities and STOs uh is such that it's usable applicable to even seed stage uh companies and, and projects uh, so i do think that currently in the near term the two models serve very two different demographics coinbase is probably the only company that i imagine that there was ever a more conversation of should we tokenize our our equities and and make it available that way or should we go public and they seemingly chose to go public. But for pretty much everyone else, that's not a dilemma that they have to deal with, I, I don't think.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating to, to kind of hear like, what is your pitch to entrepreneurs as to why should they do this, um, especially at the earliest
1: stages of the business rather than
0: just raise through the traditional means?
1: Um, the, the, the easiest way to think of it is just, I mean, Republic is uh, an example. Why do I answer that question? Uh, in the context of why we decided to issue a digital securities, we are a fundraising platform, and the reason why we ended up, you know, choosing to launch as a crowdfunding or crowd investing platform is that we think that if a customer, a consumer, a community member has skin in the game, he or she would be that much more, you know, ardent in in. Eventualizing and buying more product and telling people about it, and that value prop- proposition is played through and through. Uh, there's no clearer example of community community ownership than the fact that Airbnb and Uber, before they went IPO, asked the SEC permission to give equity to the drivers and the people, you know, the the, the lister on Airbnb at the time. The SEC said no, no special exemption if you want to do it. Use basic standard. Uh, regulatory framework. So the value proposition of community um, ownership is very much there. In our case, there are two routes. One is that we can run another crowdfunding campaign for Republic ourselves and bring in 10,000 of our community members, each of whom hold a PDF or save or prefer share in Republic. The second option is figuring out a digital security to make it available. If I were to have done or conduct a crowd offering for Republic, it works for those who get in right away, but it doesn't allow them to transfer these things easily. It doesn't allow me to make a distribution of $2 per share per token back out. If someone holds three shares, how What am I gonna wire or do an ACH uh, you know, payment? So the, the, the automation behind payment settlement uh, transferability, KYC, AML, and international transaction, none of that would be possible with a traditional crowd investment campaign. So that's why we opted for it. And we have seen even just in the, the, the past few days uh, and the months leading up to it, the engagement that a token model can, can drive and how it incentivize people to be more active is undeniable and we believe that 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 value proposition is applicable to pretty much any business model with a community may it be a sports league or a new project or a digital exchange based out of you know somalia whether it may be if you have a community digital tokenization and a token model can apply to amplify.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, I guess, too, because um, what you guys have seen is you basically brought this to some of the most innovative types of companies in the world, right? We know that uh, unaccredited investors have a very hard time investing in startups, rent and technology companies. Uh, it's very much of an insider's game, um, and so it feels like this is one way to kind of break down some of those walls or democratize access to some degree. How have uh, entrepreneurs responded to the fact that uh, now they've got a whole bunch of uh, equity holders or, or kind of new partners, and, and those people may have access to certain types of information that's considered sensitive or confidential? How does that play into this?
1: That, that's a great question, and I want to clarify one thing is that the no holders have indirect access to these companies, but we only provide information that is public information. We would never provide information that the company hasn't released publicly for a couple of reasons. deference to them is one thing. they also may be inaccurate. if i hear that the company might have done something and I saying that, oh geez, company acts is about to get acquired and turns out that they didn't or aren't, that's gonna be a major problem. So we only provide, you know, thorough but public information only. The at the level of a crowd investing or crowdfunding campaign, for a company like Republic to take on a thousand new investors. We have to go through a pretty creative legal process to make sure that that's manageable. But one example at how manageable that is, is the factory Republic now through the Republic note sale, now have more than 6,000 new uh, investors coming in and counting. So if we can make it manageable, you can trust that 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 we you know make available that same process to the companies going out on our platform. But it's a little bit too uh, boring and archaic of a legal uh, deep dive uh, on on how exactly that is achieved. I'm more than happy to go in though if anyone uh, is curious. And.
0: Obviously, all of this has occurred during a global pandemic that has led to a recession but is seeing stock prices explode and we just live in this like really weird, complex, uh, kind of uncertain time. How have you seen COVID-19 and all of the the kind of impact of that affect fundraising for companies or even companies wanting to go and, and use the platform?
1: First, I want to share that even fundraising during the pandemic, I'm sure is not as challenging as planning for a wedding during a pandemic. And so on that note, I just want to say congratulations again. Um, the, uh, the, the past six months have been I, obviously an, an, a surreal time for all of us. Uh, I do think that companies looking to raise from venture, uh, raising venture capital, or traditional institutional capital, have been uh, going through a, a hard time meaning the public stock market has been performing better than anyone had expected, perhaps irrationally so. Uh but that doesn't mean that, that institutional investors looking at private capital haven't slowed out a lot. And you know you may uh you may be a far more experienced uh you know person than 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 I am to, to share a view on it. But from my lens, I think a function of that is given the volatility in the public market, a lot of family offices uh, and institutional investors are delaying and, and are much more cautious about investing and providing more exposure to the private market, right? So the process at the very least has been dragged out longer for founders and projects looking to raise a traditional venture capital or institutional capital. On the other side though, retail capital has been doing very well, like we, April was our best month yet, then May was much better than April, then June was like month for us, and it, it's the same for other players in the market. It's not a story that's unique to a public, there's one clear solution, there's one clear answer. One is that people have a lot more time now, so the value of like private investing and quite frankly of blockchain uh, as a technology in general. Most people up until now have too little attention span, like nine seconds online. Like they, by the time you finish saying equity, crowdfunding, or you know, staff, you know, simple agreement for future tokens. People lost interest, now they're stuck at home. So they're like, we're, well, you know, between webinars and podcasts and newsletter and all of these things that they have more uh, attention to follow. And I think the, re- the value proposition of, of private investing, which is obvious, uh, there's one interesting stat, I think it's from the the Boston Consulting Group, that in the year 2020, 2030, 10 years from now, 75% of Fortune 500 companies in the year 2030 have yet to exist today. So you're talking about a huge swath of technologies and household brands who change how we work and, and, and live and yet in some, someone's garage or in someone's head today, the notion that you can put, put you know $10, $20, a pitcher of beer worth, in some or more of these potential ideas and play a role in it i think it's naturally compelling i don't think that anyone should be expecting to get rich out of private investing because they hear it in the news it's just a wrong way of looking at it but it's a really compelling thing to say that you got to be a bit more of a direct participant in entrepreneurship given that it's changing how we are as a civilization so i think that the message finally is getting through and because of that retail capital has and i predict will continue to do very well probably at one time larger than institutional capital yeah, it, it's it's crazy to
0: see the impact and in how institutions kind of froze up and retail uh, invested a bunch and in um, the public markets. Obviously, that was very beneficial for retail investors because stocks exploded, kind of with all the Fed's yet reaction. Uh, in the private market, it's a little less obvious, right? In terms of our companies doing better or worse, just because that there's not kind of that daily stock price to uh, to, to
1: associate it with. Um, help me understand, like where. Let me add on another point there is that after the last uh, great recession of 2008, that's when you started to see, I think Airbnb launched in 2009, WhatsApp, Stripe, Square, like major companies, corporations now, launched right after uh, following the recession. So that's the value of of private investing is that it's not as affected by by near-term psychology and volatility, and it, it ha- only time will tell. And I do think you're gonna see a similar batch of household brands coming out of, of uh, today's pandemic. Yeah, help me understand where we're going. Right,
0: digital securities, uh, you guys have obviously helped pioneer this. Um, you're, you're able to show that there is a community of investors. You're able to show that there is uh, a community of entrepreneurs that want to use this as a way to get funding for their businesses and kind of continue to build. How does this evolve over time? And where do you see this going kind of over the next five to 10 years? Uh, and then what are the obstacles in the way from where we are today
1: to, to kind of that milestone? Uh, two answers for, for that. And that's a uh, that's a hard question is forward looking. And I was wrong about how quickly SDO would be adopted back in you know twenty seventeen. Uh, but I'm very optimistic that that you're gonna see that in the next twelve at, at the latest twenty-four months and and seeing what the, if that's the question. I think the easiest way of looking at a or, or, or the signal of, of maturation in this space is when you have like the Spider-Man, the X-Men movie franchise or something comparable in sports with clearly many millions of fans around the world. And when they're looking to raise, to finance the movie or the athlete and make it through the only way to do that still and will be in the near future is through this blockchain technology, make it possible so that you know a student in India can invest 5 bucks, $2 into this movie to be produced because, you know, she loves the, 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 the people. And there's a non-fungible token on her phone that shows that, hey, she's, you know, an investor in this new Superman movie. And that if she goes back to her, her school and can sell it to her classmate, you know, very quickly for 10% more and the token would come with it. And that's a new mark of being an engaged citizen, that's like the equivalent of like wearing a Chanel bag. Like what do you get in on and, and what what do you own? Just a little sliver of it. That happening at scale, I very much hope to see that in 12 months and no later than like 18, 24 months. Now, once that's doable and once you see something like that happening, um, the, the, the iterations, of tokenization naturally will come it's very hard to predict the full scale of it because i fundamentally i mean i believe that that this technology will fundamentally change private investing or private asset classes as we know of it first is people getting in at the primary level and then the secondary market will develop that will naturally unlock you know, the, the gold bars that people have in Africa, in Latin America, in Asia, that up until now they're high in the debate. That's the only way, that's the best way to, to save because they don't believe in the national currency and they don't believe in the banking system. Once you unlock all of that, I, I yeah I do see a vastly more prosperous world, and that perhaps we I don't know we may not see another recession again. Uh, that will really throw traditional economics um, you know completely off its rail. The challenge uh, is and will be how fast and how aggressive the regulatory framework can adapt or hinder this process. DeFi is a very good example. So. The, you see, I mean, something like over two or three billion dollars worth of assets now locked in various DeFi uh, instruments, still largely unregulated, and so people take these various positions on whether or not it's even regulatable, given that it's a direct transaction between you know two party. Uh, that said, you know you have yield in double digits. I think some instrument yield over 100 percent, you know, annually there's bound to be, you know, fraught and harms and all of these things. So the SEC and FINRA and their equivalents in various countries, I think will come in and will will operate, will collaborate, and will hinder. uh, And how that conversation or these conversations will take place in each country, I think, um, basically, is the one single factor that will... uh, Enable one to predict how accurately, or more accurately, how fast or how slow this industry will be true. Uh, but that's something that's why you know I very much believe in the conversation with the uh, legislators and regulators rather than ignoring uh, and pretending that they, they're not there. Absolutely,
0: and then maybe talk a little bit about the international nature here, right? And kind of how this opens up accessibility. You hinted at it a little bit with the DeFi stuff, but maybe just touch on that.
1: The in, in the case of uh, finance, uh, it's a uh, straight up, up, up until now, it's not a globalized world, it is a national world. That's why Tesla, if you're in Vietnam or Ecuador, you can't really buy a public share of Tesla. It's crazy, but you cannot. Uh, and so these, you know, territorial or national borders, A function of it is that up until now, these governments are unable to stop, you know, the the cross-border transactions. And so over time, with so much activity is going, going on that they have to find a way to legitimize it. And so a function of it is driven by technology and a function of it is going to be driven straight up by conversation and that in smaller countries, seeing how... This technology can improve lives of people in their country, allowing them to invest in things that are not organically available locally, but available, you know, on a global scale. That I do think that that these borders uh, line will get blurrier and blurrier over time when it comes to finance and particularly, you know, private investing, which is what DeFi is by by definition, just truly decentralized.
0: Yeah. What's next for you? What, what, what do you think at uh, Republic in terms of uh, what are the things you guys are focused on over the next kind of six to 12 months?
1: Yes. Uh, after we're done with our public sale and we, uh, even though we oversubscribed now, we're going to, I think, open a small application just to make our community happy. Uh, and after that is focusing on a few more things, which is uh, you know qualifying our Reg A application to make sure that we formalize the process of getting non-accredited investor in. After that, it's really around community engagement, the whole process of making sure that we provide information for, for the, the note holders. But beyond that, uh, I would say the next 12 months using the framework that we applied, that we created and now apply for the note token for other businesses. We're really working with a few. So you hope to, you know, we hope you will see more uh, digital securities. Issue by major enterprises with very clear value propositions and a massive community, you know, issuing tokens to those communities in the same way the Republic is doing to our own community. And so the, my, my interest and effort, I think focused squarely, probably a hundred percent just on the notion of making tokenization, uh, you know, hopefully mainstream at last, uh, still a little bit of way to go, but uh, we think it's there.
0: I love it, man. You, uh, you continue to push the pace of innovation, so it's, uh, it's impressive to watch. Um, I've been uh, super excited about what you guys are doing and uh, obviously the Republic note token, I think, will, uh, will go down as many people will say, hey, that was a pretty good idea and uh, they will uh, end up copying that, that type of uh, mechanism. So uh, congratulations on all the success. Where can we send people to learn more about you or uh, Republic?
1: First of all, thank you so much, Palm. Coming from you, it really you know means the world. You've seen everything in this space, and and uh, advice and guidance over the years have been uh, so crucial for us. Uh, yeah, we at republic.co.com.co slash note n o t. Uh, pretty much the entire uh, white paper and all relevant information uh, can be found on that site. Uh, and I do want to clarify that as all things related to private investing, high risk. Don't invest in money that you you know that you don't expect or can't afford to lose in its entirety. Uh, and if you do invest in something new, like invest a very small amount. Like think of it as like having fun with it, and make sure that you read everything uh, that 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 is available uh, to to make that uh, informed decision. But uh, I hope you uh, jump in and have some fun. <laughs> Absolutely. So republic.co/slash-note.
0: Please, guys, go check it out if you think it's something that, uh, that you may be interested in. Uh, and then, Kendrick, thank you so much for doing this, man. I'm, uh, I'm super excited and uh, I'm glad that we got caught up in terms of just where digital securities are today. And uh, hopefully the uh, the path that you laid out uh, moving forward, not only one uh, kind of occurs, but happens even faster than you think it will, which would, uh, which would be fantastic
1: for, uh, for innovation in the finance industry. So fingers crossed, and I'm cheering you guys on. Thank you so much, sir.